This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of Scholarly, the podcast brought to you by the ATS Scholar Journal and the ATS section on medical education. I'm your podcaster, Deepak Pradhan, a pulmonary critical care attending at New York University and associate program director there. And today we'll be discussing the ATS Scholar Perspective article, Cardiovascular Critical Care Training, a collaboration between intensivists and cardiologists. I'm joined by the lead author of the paper, Dr. Eugene Yurditsky. Dr. Yurditsky completed internal medicine residency at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, fellowship in cardiovascular disease at Washington Hospital Center, and a second fellowship in critical care medicine at New York University Grossman School of Medicine, and is currently the associate director for the cardiac care unit, CCU, at NYU main campus. Eugene is a remarkable clinician, bedside teacher, and scholar, and I'm just really thrilled to have him here with us today. So Eugene, welcome. Thank you for that warm introduction, Deepak. So in the uh, interest of full disclosure, I am the second author on this paper, as well as the APD for the Critical Care Medicine Fellowship that Eugene completed. So for full transparency, I am super biased. And I thought a discussion about cardiac critical care would make for an interesting and lively podcast. So Eugene, you know, I talked about your training background, but can you share with us some of the reasons that you personally decided to seek critical care training on top of your previous cardiology fellowship training? Sure. You know, my interest for cardiac critical care really flourished when I was a cardiovascular disease fellow. But when I was graduating, it was quite uncommon for people to pursue dual certification. And all of my mentors were cardiologists who were working in the cardiac ICU without additional training and usually had certain other specializations on the side. So I came to NYU prior to us having a dedicated cardiac ICU where I was involved in co-management of cardiac patients in the medical ICU initially, but that evolved. And once we developed our own cardiac ICU, I started working there and then COVID happened. And then during that first wave of COVID, when I was working in the medical ICU, taking care of our pandemic patients, I really realized there's quite a skill set to be learned if I were to be taking care of medically critically ill patients. And at that point, I really realized to gain that skill set, going through full critical care training would probably be the best course of action. No, that, that makes sense. You know, you were already seeped in that in that world. And, and, and then, you know, you had obviously an, an interest into it. And so it made a logical transition for you. But I guess, you know, for just all, you know, kind of CCU attendings, do they need to be critically care trained? I mean, I think that I'm guessing that you're going to make the, the you, know, you know, position that yes, they should be. But I guess then, you know, what's causing that paradigm shift and the need for intensive care or critical care training for such CCU attendings? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you look back historically, CCUs came about in the early 1960s. And at that time, they were really arrhythmia monitoring units you didn't really have many therapies for patients with acute MIs. And these patients would often die of malignant ventricular arrhythmia. So the idea was, let's cohort them in a unit, put telemetry monitors on them, alarm bells would go off if the patient were to have a malignant arrhythmia, and nurses can go in and resuscitate the patient even without physicians. And that made a huge impact on mortality. But then if you flash forward many decades, really to the 21st century, the landscape of the cardiac ICU has changed dramatically. And what we're seeing is a lot of medical critical illness. And there have been multiple studies have looked, that have looked into this. And you have 
quite a high prevalence of respiratory failure, sepsis, multi-organ failure. Over 20% of patients in the cardiac ICU are in mechanical ventilation. And diseases that you really don't have that much exposure to as a cardiovascular disease fellow. At the same time, the incidence of acute MI has really been declining. So now really the line between medical critical care and cardiac critical care is becoming blurred. And what a lot of people who practice in cardiac ICUs, particularly dual trained people, when you survey them, they really feel that these skills in managing respiratory failure, end of life discussions, airway, and so on and so forth, are really key skills that are highlighted in critical care training that are not well addressed in cardiology fellowship. Yeah, so right. I mean, this this landscape is changing. The complexity, the acuity, the the different disease processes that you're you're dealing with. I think that you know when I was a a resident and and uh, you know in the CCU, it was very common that we were taking care of post you know kind of you know patients who had been intervened on in terms of of the coronary vasculature and taking care of that that specific population, but it's really grown into so many different other areas and so so many other skill sets that are necessary to take care of those those patients. And so I guess what's the current state? You know, if we look across the landscape at CCUs, CICUs across the nation, you know, what does the physician staffing look like currently? Yeah. So traditionally it's really cardiologists that work in cardiac ICUs and if you survey directors of cardiac ICUs nationally, you find that most of them spend less, less than 50% of their time actually in the inpatient setting. And if you look at dual trained physicians, meaning physicians who have completed cardiology fellowship and critical care fellowship, there've been different surveys, but in a way to try to kind of understand how many of these individuals there are in the country, the number's probably between 400 and 500 based on some data that has come out in the past five or six years. And also interestingly, these individuals, most of them got certification in critical care through the practice pathway, meaning that they never completed a fellowship and got certified. And most of the time, that was a couple of decades ago, meaning that many of these individuals who are dual certified through the practice pathway are approaching or have approached retirement age. So based on some of the surveys that we have, at most, you would have less than 15% of cardiac ICUs nationally that have at least one dual trained intensivist. And as a result, a lot of ICUs resort to models of co-management or mandatory consultation on certain types of patients. For example, mechanically ventilated patients in the cardiac ICU might be demanding a mandatory intensivist consultation, but that's not very consistent. Do you see that model as a lesser model of just sticking in intensivists into the CCU saying, hey, we need an intensivist here. Let's have it pulmonary critical care, anesthesia critical care, or just somebody who's been trained in critical care medicine, put them in there and then have cardiologists as consultants. Do you see that as a, as a comparable model or a lesser model? Yeah, I think that really depends on the ICU specifically. And ICUs vary a lot in terms of acuity. They're even kind of like with trauma centers levels that have been designated for ICUs to kind of try to capture that. So I think if you're in a less resource hospital that is used to dealing with lower acuity patients, that might be an appropriate model, uh, particularly because the workforce issues, you're going to have trouble staffing these units with dual trained intensivists across the board. In fact, only about 50% of medical ICUs are staffed with intensivists. So while that model may be appropriate for some centers, I think once you get into centers that are dealing with very advanced therapies, we're talking about mechanical circulatory support, whether that's percutaneous or surgical, cardiac transplantation and such, it probably makes sense to have someone that has a really keen understanding of both cardiovascular disease, advanced cardiovascular disease, and critical care. In fact, when you survey pulmonary and critical care fellows, 
what is consistently stated is the comfort level with cardiac disease in ICU tends to be the lowest among other pathologies. All right, so we're, some work to be done there <laughs> for us. But yeah, I, I mean, I guess there's not one size fits all, and I think it depends on right the the you know where this you know location the institution is and and the and the ICU that you're you're talking about. But definitely at these you know highly tertiary and quaternary sites, you know, there's such complexity of care is is part of what you're saying. I'm hearing. I guess you know one part I'm thinking about is that just with individuals who go through cardiology fellowship, just how much critical care time do they typically get in their, let's say just their random three-year or general, a typical three-year general cardiology fellowship? Yeah, there's a lot to learn in cardiology fellowship and there's so many different subspecialties. So to get through all that, you are limited in your critical care time. And in fact, we have our COCAT statement, which is our core cardiology training statement that says that a fellow needs to spend two months in the cardiac ICU during their three years of training. Now, at some sites, you spend a bit more time, but that's really the sole requirement. Obviously, in my mind, that's not enough. But if you ask an electrophysiologist, well, they'll want them more on their service for sure. Yeah, exactly. When we think about uh, general cardiology, they're probably pulled in many different directions, much like our pulmonary critical care, you know, trainees into both pulmonary and critical care, sleep, and all the other other kind of areas that they get pulled into. So I, I think that, yeah, I would 100% agree from an AP perspective, two months of ICU time is, is, you know, not enough, you know, for for a kind of fellowship training. And so I guess, what are the opportunities? What are the established pathways from an ACGME perspective to get kind of dual boarded and get training in both uh, cardiology as well as critical care? Sure. So there are a few different options. One of them, and what I did, is you complete your cardiovascular disease fellowship and then subsequently do a year of critical care training. It's an intense year. The other option is some folks may choose to do critical care training first, which would be a two-year fellowship, followed by a cardiology fellowship for three years, so a slightly longer pathway. And what has been brought up in an AHA statement about a decade ago is whether or not at some point doing a combined fellowship, a four-year fellowship that incorporates more critical care time in conjunction with cardiology time in those four years might be the way of the future. Yeah, so, and, and I think it also will depend on when individuals get interested on the critical care side of, of, of things particularly as well, because it may be that they get that interest during their cardiology fellowship or or vice versa. And definitely for those who who know that they want to go into that, some sort of combined you know program would make a, a lot of, of sense. You can really leverage the different you know rotations that you have for for maximizing both would be it would be a good way. And so now let's turn on the, the kind of the, the hat of curriculum design. And I'm just thinking about there's things that that every intensivist should know about airway management, ventilator management, shock state, so forth. But what are the elements of a curriculum that are really germane or specific to somebody who's going to go into cardiology critical care? What do you think? Sure. I agree with what you're saying. In fact, when you survey dual trained cardiac intensivists, they tend to say exactly what you're saying, that ventilator management, airway management, multi-organ failure, end-of-life issues are really the key skills that are important for dual trained intensivists to have. But there are certain things that I think are specific to cardiac critical care. For instance, cardiogenic shock is a pretty complex disease and the therapies have really been evolving over the past few years. So to really have a good handle on both percutaneous and surgical mechanical circulatory support, it really probably needs to be highlighted during your training year. And depending on where you do your cardiology training, that may not be something that's very well addressed. Again, that all kind of depends on the exposure that you have in that training. 
And then some individuals who are dual trained wind up working in cardiac surgery ICUs as well. So that's an entirely unique skill set that could also be highlighted. That may not be as represented in general critical care training, but for the cardiologist might be an added skill. I think those are great points, you know, is, is the, you know, one, there are definitely things that are just outside of kind of what we often teach in pulmonary critical care that'll be very germane to, to when you're in the CCU specifically. And then I also think that there are different approaches too, as you're going to also talking about is when you're intubating patients in cardiogenic shock and thinking about the differences of the, that specific patient population when you're engaged in whether it be procedures or medical management uh, of those individuals as well. Yeah, cardiorenal as well. And so I guess I'm, part of me is also wondering is what's the optimal length, you know, because this is probably an ongoing debate in terms of one year, two year, and I can probably see it both ways. Where do you come down on how long training should be for, for the critical care if you've already done particularly cardiology already? Yeah, I, I think a year makes sense to me. It's, it's a packed year. It's very intense. You get a lot out of it. But part of the reason I'm saying that is I, I think just following my cardiology training, I just realized how much on the job learning you wind up getting once you become an attending. The idea of being independent, have to make these critical decisions is very important. So your learning never stops. I'm learning every single day. So I think once you finish that first year, you go on the job, you have mentors around you, you have people that you can ask questions and you just ongoing learning on a daily basis. Yeah, and I feel like I, I see this in both ways, you know, because we have obviously the our our at NYU a you know one year cardiology standalone you know critical care program. We also have a two year critical care medicine program as well for individuals who've done like infectious disease, nephrology, and other specialties within internal medicine. And I'm just you know I think that yeah the two year program it really gives us leverage to to build things from one year to the next graded responsibilities. There's also the opportunity for just more networking, more collaboration, as well as, um, yeah, professional growth, identity formation. And then the other thing I could probably think about is also it offers some time for potential research, you know, because they could do it over the course, longitudinally over two years instead of just one year. But at the same time, I perfectly understand the one year philosophy of like, hey, you got to get done at some point. And no matter, you know, if I make this a three year, four year, five year, you know, at some point it's got to end. And there's no surrogate for when you're an attending and, and having to make the calls and, and learn on the job. And so I think that, yeah, there's definitely a, a question in, in terms of, of the one year versus two years. And I think I can see it both ways. Exactly. You kind of mentioned mentorship, you know, in, in the, your last line. And I'm just wondering, you know, talk to me about mentorship, you know, as you're going into this pathway for cardiology, critical care. And also if, if you have a new program, when you have a new program in, in as a training program of cardiology, critical care, where do you seek that mentorship from? Sure. I think program leadership, at least for me, was the way to go, obviously. You as the APD, very helpful in being able to assist with curriculum design. And if there were certain areas in which I felt deficient, being able to kind of augment that with additional rotations or different rotations. I think that's probably the best point to start, especially when you have such fantastic program leadership. There are great national thinkers, pioneers, leaders in the field of cardiac critical care, which are accessible. You know, some people use social media, such as Twitter, for example, uh, can easily identify these individuals and at least the ones that we know are exceptionally approachable and very nice that can probably steer you in the right path. Yeah, I think you highlight some some great points there is that it doesn't always have to come 
de novo from your own program that there are that you're not the very first you know individual who's gone through cardiology critical care and so leaning on you know the different divisions that that are are there that are involved different rotations as well as as different sites and then also outside of that with your professional organizations as well and so getting it across the board you know one thing uh, I'm thinking about is if you can speak about from your experiences, you know, going through the, the one year program, you know, how much time should be spent really on cardiology focused rotations, how much time you want to see outside of, of kind of the CCU, because I think we were very deliberate in our program of not putting in much CCU time so that you could have time in the MICU, in the neuro ICU, in the SICU, and so forth. And I'm, of course, it's a balance, but how did you view it that, that in terms of this, the split of different rotations? Yeah, I found my medical critical care rotations to be the most valuable just to really grow in terms of the skills of managing respiratory failure, multi-organ failure, airway, all of those skills that dual train intensivists tend to highlight as the most essential and sort of skills that allow you to function in different ICUs, the bread and butter of critical care. Certainly, you know, I've had a good amount of exposure to some of the advanced cardiology you see in the cardiac ICU, both during my cardiology fellowship and then later as an attending, but that's probably going to vary person to person. And if someone did not have that kind of advantage in their training, then maybe more cardiology specific rotations could be useful, not only CCU, but cardiac surgery, ICU, cardiac anesthesia, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. You know, that we do all, you know, have our, our trainees go through cardiac anesthesia, as well. But I think another point that you're talking about is individuality, is that a lot of the individuals that we've had, every fellow has been different. Some have had more bronchoscopy experience, some have had more echo experience, some have already been, you know, cardiology attendings, you know, and then with some on the job experience with critical care. So I think that I found that during this process, we've created a blueprint, but we've made it also very adaptable to utilize, you know, what our perceived weaknesses still in that individual and being honest and open about it and seeing what ways we can grow. You yourself, uh, I remember came and, and you know, I'll share this story of, of Eugene wanted to do a nocturnal intensivist rotation <laughs> with us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was thinking, wow, not a lot of people volunteer to be able to to do four or five nights in in the week. But I have to tell you that you know it can be potential. Again, that was something that you had a, had an interest with and getting that more increased uh, responsibility, autonomy. And I have to say, from a from an attending perspective, whoever was the night attending the intensivist at nighttime, they slept very well because you were one running around doing everything. And so I think that we've tried to be very flexible in our design dependent on the given individual who's who's there. Eugene, my next question is really kind of uh, your your reflections of going through the program. As you look back on that year, you know, one, was it worth it? And in what ways, what did you take from that? Tell me, tell us a little bit about what your experiences were like. Yeah, I can honestly say that that was probably the best year I've had in my entire training. It was absolutely exceptional. I learned so much. I made a lot of great friends and great mentors along the way. And there's really something to be said about going back into training, having been an attending. You recognize some of the mistakes you may have made in your first fellowship. You see your blind spots. You have a better understanding of your own personal goals and objectives in addition to program goals and objectives. And you can really grow on those. So for me, I can definitely say that was absolutely worth it. And, you know, I used to think when I worked in a CCU before this that, yeah, I I think I know what I'm doing. Once you finish fellowship, you really realize how much better your skill set is, how much better you are taking care of these patients. 
yeah, very great insights in, inside of that. I was, you know, a lot of what you said resonated with me with the with some of those ideas of kind of having a second bite of the apple, you know, going going back. And as an adult learner, you're just more so much more focused in terms of what your learning needs are, what you want to achieve, what you're, you're trying to achieve. And so, yeah, I think that that's what I, I saw, you know, you're, I think you're just more mature at that point where you can really be honest with yourself and you're not looking to necessarily just get through fellowship, but you can look at it of, of what specifically do you want to get out of this last year of training, exactly. so to speak. Now, this has been really a, a collaboration between both cardiology and pulmonary critical care. It's one of the reasons why the, the article is titled The Collaboration Between Intensivists and Cardiologists. And so I'm just thinking about in what ways from your vantage point has this fellowship impacted these two disciplines or, or divisions here at NYU? Yeah, I, I think the closer relationship is, is pretty evident. It's so easy for me to be on service as I am now and if I need help with anything or need a little bit more practice, I can always find a pulmonary critical care attending, go to the bedside, get a second opinion. I think there's a little bit more trust from the pulmonary side, knowing that the cardiologist managing the CCU patients are dual trained. And then just ongoing learning. We can have things like joint conferences, mentorship between two divisions. I think it's just fantastic. Certain things that we've not seen before, now the two divisions feel like they're working together a little bit more closely. And especially with the fellowship ongoing, you know, another fellow this year, fellow in the following year, which is going to be an ongoing collaboration between us. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, obviously the the networking, the camaraderie, the collaboration, but it seeps into different areas. It seeps into research. It seeps into the clinical arena, administratively as well, trust I heard as well. So there's a lot of good things. I'm also thinking, I mean, for me, I just love that the environment of having individuals who are trained in different areas of critical care as well. So that uh, whether it be cardiology critical care, ID, nephrology critical care, surgical critical care, anesthesia, trauma. So like it just creates a great learning environment, I think, for all of our, our trainees as well. So we all do things a bit differently and, and it's good to kind of share those practices and think about those things as well. Definitely. So Jean, my last question for you is really about the future of both cardiology critical care as well as cardiology critical care training. You know, it's it's been growing, you know, obviously at our institution, but also nationally and to the point where it's turned into interest groups and so forth. And I'm just wondering how you see, you know, where where's the roadmap going? Where's the future of cardiology critical care and and training going in the future? Sure. So it's you know it's been over a decade since some pioneers kind of called our attention to the shifting paradigm in the cardiac ICU in a way kind of this crisis and that we really need to augment our staffing in these units. And, you know, I wonder if going forward to work in a cardiac ICU, at least at a major medical center, whether you will absolutely have to be dual trained. And if so, whether or not there'll be sort of a more standardized curriculum across the board in terms of how many months of different types of rotations a trainee in the field of cardiac critical care needs. Yeah, I think that's probably inevitable, right, is that whenever you create something like this, that that over time you start to figure out, well, what is the base, you know, kind of skill set, core skills, core rotation, so forth, that might be and, and kind of, you know, consensus uh, papers will probably for, follow in regards to that as well. So, Eugene, you know, a lot of great thoughts and insights from you here. 
And for our listeners, you can get more insights and thoughts if you read the paper. And really, I just want to highlight the rest of your colleagues on the, on the paper. You have Shari Brosnahan, who's well, actually her birthday is today, but also she is one of our APDs in pulmonary critical care trained, and she's finishing her master's in, in clinical investigation. You have Jim Horowitz, who's the CCU director here at NYU's main campus. He actually also went through our program once upon a time. We were collecting individuals who were going through our programs for critical care, cardiology, critical care, and staying on. So that's that's fantastic. And the and our senior author is Doreen Adrizzo Harris who is, as many of you listeners will, will know, she's our program director here at NYU. And so she oversees all three of the our uh, fellowship programs with our general pulmonary critical care medicine, our standalone critical care medicine, as well as our cardiology critical care track as well. And she's the president of CHEST. And so, you know, definitely check out the article if you want to hear more of the insights, particularly things like, you know, how do we fund this thing as well? <laughs> Eugene, thanks so much for taking time out of your clinical life since you're on service right now to share your some of your insights and thoughts. Deepak, thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, that does it for us in this latest scholarly podcast. And for those podcast listeners, Dr. Yuriditsi's article on cardiovascular critical care training, a collaboration between intensivists and cardiologists, is available on the ATS Scholar website at atsjournals.org. Otherwise, stay tuned for more scholarly podcasts coming soon. And don't forget to subscribe to Scholarly on iTunes, Google Play, or whichever podcast player you prefer. Bye for now. Bye.